Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Dave, we're back in the original boiling point. And why don't you explain to our listeners what that means? Wow, where do I start? I mean, this, I mean, I just met, I miss the smell, eh? It's a musty kind of smell. <laughs> I smell and, your sweat in this thing, you know? It's this like, is where the Bowling Point actually, you know, came together, the name, everything. And we are in, but in a different part of your office, I can see, because yeah. we actually have some sunlight or daylight happening, which so, is very cool. So for anybody who hasn't heard our earlier um, episodes, our first three or four episodes was in this very tight closet-like voiceover booth um, that is very similar to a sauna. And the reason the, the name Boiling Point came to be was because we really would take the interview as long as we could until we reached a boiling point, and we were just sweating like dogs. And you know, <laughs> the place ends up like a hockey locker. It's uh, yeah. So anyway, it's not pretty. It's, it's not nice pretty. to sweat with you again, Dave. Yeah. So and, and you know what? But it, and the other thing is, you and I have not been in the same location for like eight interviews. Like you've been right. traveling the world, and you know, I mean, so this is really cool. It's so good to see you again. Yeah, I forgot what you look like. Yeah. You got a new. You got a new haircut. You I got, got a haircut. Put it, you gotta you gotta take a picture and put it up. <laughs> That's right, I will. You I want, me, you want will. me to? Yeah, if you don't mind, right, that'd be good. Right. So listen, we we've got a, a very special guest today, <clears throat> somebody who's connected to both of us through the Wallace McCain Institute. Yes. Um, do you, have you met Levi before? Oh yeah. Okay. I have. Well, uh, Levi, say hello, my friend. Hello. Levi is essentially um, spearheading a food revolution in New Brunswick. Yes. Yeah, uh, with Real Food Connections. And uh, Levi, I'm going to leave it to you, man, to give us a quick introduction about you. And uh, and I'm not even going to call it your business. I'm going to call it your movement, okay? Because, <laughs> because what we what we try to do, Levi, is uh, bring entrepreneurs in. We're all, we also want to bring movement makers and disruptors. Mm-hmm. I really see you checking a box on all three of those, mm-hmm. you know, because so, you're really disrupting a market. You're you're the head of a of a, of a new uh, real food movement in uh, in our region, and you're an entrepreneur. You're you're a, a member of the Wallace McCain Institute with us as well. So uh, yeah, take it away, man. Sure. Um, I guess for me, it's uh, I'm an ex chef, so I consider myself a chef or a cook first, even before entrepreneur. Uh, I went back and did a business degree. Really wanted to you know open my own business because I was entrepreneurial. Um, but I'd see other places in the world work all over and, and come back and, and realize that there was a massive disconnect. Like if you want to buy something that's produced in our region, you had to go to the farmer's market on a Saturday morning. And I worked in restaurants and bars, and that doesn't always happen. So we started with a really small concept where, you know, I bootstrapped at the beginning. I borrowed $3,000. We started a website um, to connect people to what was buying locally, but through the week. And uh, we did really well, and we've expanded three times, and that was four years ago. But about two years ago, um, you know, definitely a learning curve for me. Entrepreneurial doesn't mean experienced entrepreneur. So, you know, we, we branched out and done a lot of research. And, and the, the, it didn't start out as a movement, but it's definitely a movement. Probably over the last two years or so, it's become that because the we, we realized that nothing was going to be easy. It didn't make good business sense today and and there was going to have to be things done to change the entire system and get people behind us before we could succeed. So 
that's yeah. So it's a much bigger moment uh, movement now. Uh, the business itself today is is um, you know a brick and mortar grocery store in Fredericton, New Brunswick. We do wholesale across the province. We cater. We do a vegetable box program in both Moncton and Fredericton. Uh, essentially, we've built a network of those producers we have in our region, right. and we found different ways to sell it. So, leave uh, really really good description. I can tell you've been on the road a little bit. Uh, telling people about this. Is that true? Yeah. So the the last phase over the last year is is uh, not only was I uh, I got a grant from the Pondish Bondi Center started by Jerry Pond, right. um, for as a social enterprise boost gave me fifteen thousand dollars. So I've literally been all across Canada and different provinces looking at other models and hubs, and then the last six to nine months. Uh, I've done stakeholder information feedback sessions across New Brunswick, uh, at, at one that you uh, you yourself attended. Dave. Yeah, and very and Greg's dad, yeah, Greg's and, dad. and my dad, and uh, a couple of my employees, Steve yeah. Foster. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh yeah, it was fabulous. I mean, it was great. I mean, we got to to have this fabulous food, and then Levi got up and educated us. And uh, I was in there looking at a business opportunity, and I really, for me, Levi, one of the things I walked away with, I said, this is a movement. This is something different. So. Can you, for the people that don't understand, uh, like like myself, walking into that session, um, who maybe don't really understand, you know, the the challenge around the industry you're in, can you can you describe for people like what it's like to try to get locally produced food, um, you know, in, in 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 whatever region you are? I don't. I think it's it's it could be from any people could listen from anywhere, and they their 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 region probably has the same issues. Anywhere in North America, for sure. Okay. Um, it, the way we like to sort of discuss it's a big issue, um, but the problem is in our region, as the supermarkets come in, we didn't really have a great infrastructure for food and distribution. Um, so, you know, the supermarkets came in with a distribution system and, and pretty much killed the local food supply to those larger markets. So for the last generation, the only way that you as a food producer, and so food producer doesn't mean just vegetables. This is this is growing small-scale meat production. This is cheese. This is an entrepreneur doing a sauce or a cookie or a baked good. You really have to sell direct to the consumer. Um, and it's one of the only industries where the producer can really only sell direct. There's no wholesalers. Uh, I mean, we're dabbling, but there is no recognized wholesalers or middle industry food processors. We don't have any of that in New Brunswick. So they do all their own marketing. They are only allowed to sell at farmer's markets or direct through now a Facebook page, but it used to be just word of mouth or a farm gate or a box program. Um, and that works fine if you're a small farmer for lifestyle business, but you have no opportunity for growth. And in, and if you come into a, an area from away, so an immigrant or even somebody from another province, then, you know, there's all kinds of people to buy food and there's all kinds of people eating, but you have no easy way to get to that market. You literally have to go handshake and meet people and farm markets have lineups. So we started our business, noticed a lot of the infrastructure gaps and, and uh, you know, we'd fix one and we expanded to a store and people started coming and then we'd get another one. Mm. So <clears throat> the way we see it now is, uh, and we're going to take, take it on as a mission, um, um, we've done the research, we see it as a problem of aggregation. So we're looking to, you know, we're, we've built a network of who grows what at what price and, and what's fair and how to get it from A to B. And now we're going to start aggregating those people who buy and, and figuring out how to distribute it. Because everything makes more sense if more people are involved. Absolutely. And just out of curiosity, what is it, you know, given the challenge being a, um, you know, producing locally, what what has that done to that industry? What do you mean? Like, like I mean, so in terms of you know, someone trying to break in, or you said that you know, the farmers that um, could do it lifestyle, it's great, but what about people? Like, I mean, just 
you know, have farmers and, and people producing locally just start to disappear just because of the challenges? Or Oh, yeah. I mean, um, we were really excited. We have about six. Out of out of 100 producers, we have about six that only exist and are successful today because we exist, wow. because we gave them an instant market, because they wouldn't have sold direct. And that's really exciting for us. Um, the average age of a food producer in New Brunswick today is 65. Right. Um, I've lost more producers every year than I've gained. But a new producer coming in, even though there's lo- uh, a loss of supply, it's so hard for them to find the same customers or consumers that, that they come in and it's not any easier for a, a, a lowering of the amount being made. So it's 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 really it's all about entrepreneurship for me. Like it's not a feel good. It's not a you know. There's no granola piece to this for me. It's 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 a massive economic opportunity that we just haven't invested in it enough for it to be functional. There's too many pieces missing. Well, I'm I'm sure that you guys do have some fantastic mm-hmm. granola, though, Levi. Come on. <laughs> uh, so listen, um, yeah. here's here's a question. You, you mentioned uh, the average age of the food producer. Well. When I when I see what you're doing and what what some other people are doing, like Dave Wolpin, for example, it seems like there's there this movement of it, it's much bigger, of course, of young people, almost saying we've had enough. You know, like uh, we want to support local, we want to feed ourselves local. What's your perspective as someone who's right in the middle of that vortex of um, why this is happening today? And you know, are you going to start seeing younger producers? For example, my friend Bob Fitzgerald grows um, grows hops. You know, and Pecoroons yeah. buys all the other hops. Like I'm seeing a lot of people my age and younger really getting back to the land. And you're right. And it's not even necessarily uh, the Birkenstock, uh, you know, hippie granola crowd. These are entrepreneurs. These are people who want to make a difference, but they want to make money. Like uh, conscious capitalism. Like uh, is is, uh, is it John McKay? Is, uh, is he the president of Whole Foods? I, I think he wrote the book called Conscious Capitalism, um, where these are young people that want to make money. They want to work in the system, but it's going back to that local, back to the land. What's, what's your perspective on that? It's it's the only like we have a massive expansion plan to address these issues, and the only reason I'm putting in so many hours and the faith and you know asking for investment to go forward is because I have a lineup of young entrepreneurs looking to get into this, seeing it as a, a viable career, not a vocation. I mean, people for the last generation who go into food producing go into the same reason you go into a priesthood, and it has nothing to do with you knowing that you're able to put your kids through school or own a big screen TV or pay your mortgage, and we see that changing. But with the gaps we have specifically in New Brunswick. Um, the people in their mid, late 20s or early 30s, a lot of them are coming from you know a decade of experience somewhere else in the world, coming because of New Brunswick. It's less expensive to buy and start a farm than anywhere else in Canada today. We have more farmland ready to farm than any time before today. But they're coming in and they can't hit the market. And so these people are really skilled in production, um, but that's not enough in New Brunswick. There is no connection made for them. They have to build their own markets. They have to learn social media marketing. They have to learn packaging and they have to learn licensing. And there's, you know, regulatory environments around food in every way. And so, like, we see a lineup of people ready to supply the market, but they, they hit hurdles that they just can't overcome. So we want to be that company that's in the middle, that's making uh, literally our name um, was picking by chance, uh, picked by chance, but now it really makes sense. Like we want to be the connection. Yeah. Um, well, so that, and, and that's needed. And well, just on that note, I mean, you said it was kind of happen chance, I guess, with the name. But I mean, you you didn't when you got into this initially, you you didn't see it going where it has, did you? 
No, not what? at all. Okay, so the business me. was started to get to connect chefs and farmers because ah, that was my background. Cool, cool. And the chefs all said, "Oh, I can't buy it. It's too complicated. It's too expensive for my restaurant." But my family would pay that. Right. So we pivoted. Right. So tell. So like you know, I mean, so that you. Next thing you learn, you're in this incredible. You're seeing an incredible opportunity, but it's also. I mean, tell me about the challenge that's up against you right now. Uh, there's a lot of challenge, and, and we've been hesitant. Like I, I come from the region, I come from the farming, and I'm a fifth generation dairy farming family. And although we have, you know, faith, and we have all this research, and we've done more than most people do before they take a leap, um, it's still it's it's uh, it's it's going to be really challenging, and it's not going to be no business is going to come in and just on business plan or business case alone could make the decisions that need to be made for us to be viable and successful in the future. So we're taking that upon ourselves to like, we've consciously operated at a loss for about the last 18 months to give us enough, um, you know, to have the labor, to build some of the networks, to build the contract cropping and the, you know, all that stuff, because, you know, we need to make that sacrifice today. So you see the long, you see the long-term payoff by making those investments. Well, and in, as in any agricultural business, there's no such thing as a short-term business plan. Yeah. Um, like we are the the definition of a long of a you know we're not we're not actually growing anything, but we got to think like they do. Like they think in 25 years. Yeah, yeah. So who are you trying to attract as like investors? Because I know in the group I sat in, I saw different. You know, like it was a really interesting cross section. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, you had people that were. The foodies, maybe I would describe them, and you know, kind of the people that are, would be maybe the more Birkenstock wearing people. Then there's some people that were, you know, there to talk to, to understand what's the return on investment. You know, so I saw a real cross section. What do you see in Levi in terms of the investors you're trying to attract? What we're trying to do is like we worked really hard with securities and lawyers and accountants, and so what we have set up now, and it just literally publicly launched last week, is um, that now we have set it up that any individual who's a resident of Brunswick can invest. And no matter of their income or what they do or what their education is, anybody, and we'd really like, so this is not only, um, it's not only an investment opportunity or a capital raise, it's also a market test. So we're raising Mm $220,000. The minimum investment is $1,000. The maximum is only $2,000. But, and we're trying to find, you know, we'll end up with somewhere around 150 to 170 shareholders it's common shares. There's no crowdfunding. There's no donations. We're a for-profit company. Um, and we're looking for producers. We're looking for the suppliers um, to be involved. We're looking for the business community. So we're talking to, like you had David Alston um, in one of your first sessions. He's mm-hmm. definitely one of the first people we've talked to. And, and it's important for me that we're always thinking about viable business and money and career. Um and, and having some people in our shareholder base to, to hold us accountable to that is very important to us as well. And then a third, we're looking for uh, the, the, the the food geeks, the home consumers, the people who are going to be buying the food and, and who support us. So those three categories is, is really what we're looking and We're looking to make sure that we're making decisions that collaborate with everybody. And you mentioned Dave Wolpen uh, from Credles. He's also somebody we've talked to. Every, and most of the market would see us as competitors. But in our world, we need more competitors to survive. Yeah. That's right. It's, Collaboration it, it, it's, has, to, yeah. has to become before competition. 100%. And in, in a growing market, and you know what, Levi, it's the same thing with, with myself in the film industry uh, in New Brunswick. We have to be banded together, bound together, I should say, uh, as one common voice, even though essentially we are competitors. But at the end of the day, we're all bringing value. If there's only Hemingsos doing film in this province, that would, that would be very damaging to me. 
because mm. we wouldn't have the resources. So it's a really neat way of looking at competition. In a way, it leads into my next uh, topic, which is disruption. Um, it's kind of a disruptive thought to say, let's embrace our competitors. Let's make our competitors part of what we're doing. And what I'm seeing that what you're doing, Levi, is a bit of a, a disruption as well, because you're going, you know, grassroots gathering uh, potential investors and, and stakeholders together session by session by traveling around the province and elsewhere. Uh, how do you f- feel that some of the bigger boys are looking at these more grassroots uh, ventures um, coming up through the, you know, through, through the, uh, the stages of development? And just uh, to clarify that a little bit, I think about the, the corporate beer uh, world. Uh, when the craft breweries started to take off, uh, they became a massive disruptor for like the Molsons and the Labats and et cetera, et cetera. So do, do, have you had any word of, of fear or any anything from some of the big boys of this kind of more movement-based uh, business that's starting with the people like you? Not really. Um, I mean, like it's, it's important to note that I'm, I'm very much uh, on the business side of this and it's not – you know, doing it for the right reasons. I do. You know, it's, I get a lot of people who think it should be done regardless of the, what the the actual cost or profit opportunities are. The reality is, for us, when we think about the need for aggregation, is um, supermarkets. So the large companies they sell what people want to buy, and as people transition to healthier foods, whole food sections get higher or get larger. When they want more local, like Sobeys now has a, a dedicated person in each region that their whole job is to try to find more local supply for their stores because that's what customers are asking for. But it's complicated and their distribution systems and the way they operate is not set up to talk to 15 suppliers to supply carrots for 15 stores. They're just not set up that way. And I mean, grocery prices at the supermarket level have gone up 10% in the last six months. Um, And, you know, it's based on oil, it's based on distribution. um, And a lot of those things don't even affect us. Like our prices have got closer and closer to supermarket prices than, than they have ever before. But the future is if we can consolidate, aggregate, whatever you want to say, what is being grown when, and we do forecasted supply contracts with producers, when a superstore or Sobeys wants to buy local two years from now, we will be able to make it happen and keep it keep the chain of supply. Like we will be the wholesale that they can turn to. So why, you know, it's not the evil big guys. It's if we don't organize ourselves at the lower end, it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that we, we, we just, you know, 90% of everybody shops at a large supermarket because it's convenience. The problem is, is that we don't have what's grown on the region represented. And there's a disconnect between the two. If you go to Europe, where I spent two years working, um, the local producers just have a depot. They go and they sell over market price and the depots supply the food chains. And, you know, they already had such integrated systems in place when supermarkets came to town that they just used the system. So when you go to a supermarket in Portugal or Luxembourg or Belgium or Germany, all countries that I've lived in, when it's likely to be from two miles away as it is from a thousand miles away at the supermarket level. And we just don't have that, but we can get there. So what do you, you know, you seem like a real optimist to me, right? I mean, you, I mean, you have to be, right? And, and you, you see something and, you, and here's what I'm thinking, Levi, you're going, well, why can't we do it here, right? And, and there's so many opportunities like in your industry, Greg, in your industry, my industry, where, where actually this, you know, the whole idea of a digital society, you know, the, like some of the stuff Dave Alston's doing around Code Kids. The fact that we, we're small actually as a province makes it easier to, to do some of these, I guess, in, in theory, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, so Levi, with your cautious optimism, when you look at what you saw in Europe and you look at where we are here and you look like what, what you're doing right now to try to level it, you know, to, to have us closer to what's happening in Europe, how far is that away, you think? I wouldn't. It'll transition. It has to happen year by year. Uh, I mean, you can't create supply. And no inv- no farmers are going to invest in a crop they don't know is sold. Right, so right. Um, we're planning for 10 years. Okay. Um, and two years from now, a big piece of the puzzle is a large food processing center doing the um, the shelf life extension, stuff like dehydrating. And uh, I mean, we have the best garlic I've seen in the world grows in our backyard. Um, but there's no one who can dehydrate it, make garlic powder, or any other products. We make fantastic cheeses there's over 83 cheeses made in the province um but nobody knows about them you know having a food center that aggregates and and dehydrates and freezes i mean there's producers who grow blueberries and cranberries in the province today which are great crops or commodity crops they sell if you're a new brunswick business you have to sell it as a whole food because we have no food processors or Mm. or co-packers that you can hire to dehydrate juice freeze we don't have any of that infrastructure um, and that's where there's a huge opportunity as well. So with that with that center, I'm I'm just guessing here that you can then then producers can produce more because they you know it's got a longer ability to get into the marketplace, right? And it goes into different markets. Right. So like I talked to uh, large distributors in Toronto when I was there, and they're like, we're aching for more Canadian made product. Hmm. That's what people are they associate with quality. Um, I can hit a national market within two weeks if I found a shelf stable, easy to ship, hmm. finished product. Um, like one of the first ideas we had that we do within our store, but I haven't gone to wholesale, is is bottled pickled fiddleheads or deep or frozen fiddleheads. They said if you could find a sustainable way to do that, um, then th- that would hit the world market in two weeks. Like distribution is not the issue when you get to a certain scale, and when it's shelf stable. Like fresh food is so complicated, it's so right, difficult. Right. right. So that's a big. That's a really important piece of this. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's what I learned. One of the things, one of the many things mm-hmm. I learned from your presentation. Um, so, just a couple questions left for you. I got, I got one that just I'm always curious about. I'm putting my coaching hat on, my leadership hat on here. Um, what is it that keeps you inspired, man? Like, I mean, this, you know, this is a 10 year uh, project. It's been a lot longer than that, right? I mean, um, and and longer than that, probably. If we, if you, if you think about. Um, you know how this is all going to play out, but but you know you clearly one of the things that stuck out for me when I when you talk about this like right now, uh, there's a lot of passion there, and I'm just wondering like where does that where does the inspiration come from you? Where, what keeps you going? It's it's definitely talking to people. Um, so the more I closet myself in with Excel sheets and planning, or even just in my own store, um, I get a little bit less enthusiastic. I get a little bit less. It's like, I know it needs done, you know, but does it make sense? So like I got into a real, like I do public speaking a lot more, uh, four or five times a month. I'm in front of groups all across the region, even in Nova Scotia and PEI, um, speaking with people about it. Um, and I'm still, still getting enthusiasm and, and faith from my trip across Canada. And that was, that was in um, November and January. Um, but going to and talking to entrepreneurs who run four lease kitchens and food hubs and actual farmers and processors in, in Vancouver and in Toronto and in Vermont. Um, and the fact like when we really talked about how things were here and what I'm trying to fix, um, they were like, I can't, I might have to move to New Brunswick. Like, yes, there's lots of things missing, but the opportunity is massive. Like the fact that, you know, uh, food sells for the same in Toronto and Vancouver as it does here. It's within cents of the dollar for any commodity food crop, but it's real estate's nine times more expensive in Vancouver and seven times more expensive in Toronto. A farmer 
has to pay 10 times as much to grow the crop but sell it for the same price. They're like, I could move to New Brunswick and do the exact same amount of business, selling to the exact same distributors, and be a more successful business person. But you need these market infrastructure gaps fixed. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you're part of our immigration strategy as well. That's right. Look at that. Very cool. (laughs) My last one, uh, Levi, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll let you get back to uh, to your session is, um, you know, earlier you were referencing, you know, uh, you know, doing business for profit versus doing uh, business for the right reasons, quote unquote. Uh, What I'm seeing here is a true definitive um, entrepreneur mind that you have, and I was speaking with. um, uh, one of our other guests, uh, Christy from uh, Scout and Burrow, she's a, a B Corp marketing agency, yeah. and she was saying, "Oh yeah, you would know her. I think you went uh, through the Pondus Bonde with her." She yeah. was saying that one of her biggest passions would be to um, to go over to all these uh, these places in the world where refugees are, you know, they're not going to be in these camps for two or three years. They're going to be there for twenty to thirty years to, to lifetimes. People are going to be born and and they're going to die in refugee camps. She sees that as an emerging market. So where previously someone would have the hat on, say, let's go help those people nonprofit style, or the other way is let, there's, a, there's a market opportunity. How do we make their lives better and still uh, do it within the, the framework of building a great business? So um, with that, do you have any advice, last comments to other potential entrepreneurs who maybe have their mindset on how do I make the world a better place without thinking, how do we make the world a better place and make a ton of profit? <laughs> any encouragement, any advice? Because there's a lot of people, uh, yeah. especially that you know in your circles, that would, would probably uh, do very well in, a, in more of a uh, conscious capitalistic uh, perspective. <laughs> this, and this is something I speak about a lot because you know I, I've done successful crowdfunding campaigns. I'm in the news a lot and, and a lot of people come and ask these questions. Um, there's two things. Uh, one is is the best way to prove something is a good idea is to make a lot of profit doing it. Because the reality is if you can choose a good for the planet, good for the people idea and make money on it, then those people who aren't necessarily as social conscious as you will still see it as a good idea. Like we'll still see there's nothing that will move, move a movement forward more than showing that it's not only good, but it's profitable. Second, um, like one of the books that has absolutely, like I read it about halfway through my journey and it still resonates so strongly. And you mentioned one book about social, social enterprise, but the one that I read that really just, just hit the nail on the head for what I'm trying to do is, is, um, I can't remember the title of the book, but it's all about Ben and Jerry's. Um, and they, even now that they sold, they actually have a separate board to keep these policies in place throughout their company and they term it linked prosperity. So it's literally, I'm trying to run a business and make a profit, but the business does not make profit and the shareholders do not reap the benefits unless everybody in the stakeholder circle also profits. So a supplier has to benefit and profit, or at least, you know, within acceptable reasons, and employees have to make a living wage and the planet around them has to benefit or the shareholders don't get their that's, that sounds like B Corp, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a very similar B Corp, yeah, but it's yeah. it's much more detailed and it's written right into law and their company. Uh, excellent. Uh, so it's somewhere I really want to get to is the link, pro- the idea that the company only prospers when the stakeholders prosper. 
So Levi, and they've gone to such level of detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and so so people want to learn more about what you're reading. You know who you are, how to invest, how to learn about this. Maybe they're in a region and they're going, "Geez, I, I have this. I have a similar challenge to what Levi's facing." How do they learn more about you and about this movement and what you're doing and who you are? You know what you're all about. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been fielding calls about our business model, our ideas as far as Belgium, uh, Africa, BC. Uh, Vermont. Uh, I mean, a lot of it's replicable. Um, me, my my own um, pursuits, the investment opportunity, our future plans. I've actually separated that out into a blog of mine called nbfoodgeek.ca, um, and that's where everything is. And Real Foods Levi, my Twitter handle. Real food. And just so it's not confusing, the, all of our actual business, like if you want to buy from us in Moncton or St. John and so, or soon St. John and Moncton today, or you want to know what we have for food or what's going on in the province, it's realfoodconnections.ca. Okay. That's fantastic. Levi, thanks so much, man. And have an awesome afternoon up uh, in Oxbow with the Wallace McCann Institute uh, team. And uh, yeah, we, look, we really look forward to following your success, man. And thanks so much for giving us your time. Thanks, Levi. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Okay. See you, buddy. Cheers. All right. Bye. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's what he's doing is, uh, you know, whether he, he, he sees it or not, like I, I see him really leading the charge of a movement uh, and not to be confused with a with a not for profit social, social, socially conscious movement, which it is as well. But it truly is a for profit. Let's get back to the earth. Let's get back to the land, support local, because there's a massive business opportunity there. And the fact that he is the evangelist that he is. You know, he goes all around uh, the region constantly talking about what this is and getting people excited, like a great leader should. Mm-hmm. Um, it blows my mind. He's really, truly somebody that uh, that we should all look up to and, and, and almost mimic in the way he his, uh, of his sales and marketing approach, which is completely inclusive of, you know, bringing as many stakeholders to the table as possible, getting their perspective, getting their investment, getting them to be part of the story, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's uh, pretty, pretty wild. Ah, yeah. No, no, I, like I really, I'll tell you, when I heard him present, I was really blown away. Um, and and what, what I thought was really impressive is uh, is, is uh, the ability to just to educate, right? And I mean, and every good marketer is a good educator in my mind, right? Every good salesperson, every good entrepreneur has the ability to educate. So, so and he did it today. He he had, he kind of walked us through and said, "Well, here's where the gap is, and here's here's the here's the prospect, here's the opportunities. If we can plug some of these gaps, and we can get some investment, and we can we can move this and and help local producers. And you know, I mean, like, I mean, you walk away thinking, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, okay, well, we got to get involved here somehow, right? <laughs> You know, and, and not because it's just the right thing to do. Like you said, this whole idea of conscious cap- capitalism. I mean, you just love it. So um, we need, like, so I hope people, the listening, check Levi out, invite him to speak. Um, you know, whether you're from the, the Atlantic Canadian region or not, um, I think he's got, a, I, I know he has a lot to he's, share. He's got, yeah, he's, he's, he wants to share. Like you said, it's, it, his system is replicable. So, uh, yeah, and that's, again, another great thing about this podcast is, yes, we do have, we have a, a strong focus on Atlantic Canada as far as our guests, but we have just as strong a focus on international guests. So yes. this is really cool because we're able to share things that work in our region out 
to to our listeners all over the world and vice versa. We bring uh, global perspectives in. And uh, that's why we're going to ask you, our faithful listening audience, to continue listening and subscribe to our our, our show. Share. Share this podcast with uh, as many people as you can because Dave and I really want to to bring the value of these conversations that we're having with these these icons uh, with everybody else because it's, you know... Even though it's probably forty-two degrees in here already, Dave. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just getting, I'm just getting ramped up. We're, we're, we're gonna be lean after this. This, I mean, this is a, this is a new diet method. <laughs> you know, if you become an in-person guest on the Boiling Point, you're gonna lose three or four yeah, pounds. Where it's are your, where are your speedos? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so check us, check us out on uh, on Facebook at Boiling Point Podcast. Twitter is at Boiling Point, and the website is BoilingPointPodcast.com. See you next week. Later. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.